edition today we're talking to nicole Auerbach, and nicole as this episode drops for a few hours from the ivy league making a decision about what they're going to do with their fall sports now i don't know that the power five and the group of five and the, all the fbs schools are going to just copy the ivy league but there could be kind of a domino effect from this and everybody's watching it let's put it that way everybody in college sports is watching it Yes. Um, you know, it's, it's the dream of every Ivy League student, right, is, is that everyone is paying attention to them um, and, and listening to where they went to school. No. Um, it, it is really interesting because, to your point, there's a lot of people be out there saying, well, Alabama's not going to copy what Harvard does. Like, the, you know, these are totally different scenarios. They're in different leagues. Money that is being brought in, totally different, right? But we all know how college sports work, and there's no governing body. There's no commissioner. I mean, okay, sorry. The NCAA is technically a governing body. They when, are not, when it wants to be. When it wants to be, and it's, it's not going to be in this space, especially because it does not control football's postseason. So these are going to be conference decisions, and conference decisions tend to follow other decisions, right? So the Ivy League went first with the basketball tournament. People thought it was overreacting. People thought it was ridiculous. Within two days, all the conferences canceled their tournaments, and the NCAA tournament was over. So it's not necessarily like apples to apples with basketball and now football, but it's this idea of being willing to go first. They were proven correct. They made the right decision. And if they go first on this, will that provide cover for other leagues? And then if you have other FCS leagues doing this, does that ripple into the group of five? Does that then apply pressure to the Power Five, right? So it's all interconnected because there's no commissioner making this decision for everyone. So everyone is following what everyone else is doing. Well, and the vote is to decide whether they want to move fall sports to the spring, which is something we've talked about with regard to the FBS, but wasn't something that had a lot of traction with the people in the FBS a few months ago. They were very confident that they'd be able to start the season on time or, or maybe a little bit delayed and that they would be able to get it played. Now you're hearing people say, OK, maybe we might think about the spring. And so if the Ivy League says we're going to do spring football, it does give some cover because I, I was talking to someone from from a power five school today and they said to me, nobody wants to be the first. Nobody wants to be the first to say it. But if you have another league saying it, and it's the league that has Harvard and Yale and Princeton and everybody knows those schools, and maybe that makes it easier to make that suggestion. Well, and, and think about this, too. Ultimately, these are decisions coming from university presidents, not athletic directors, right? Like They're, they're the ones who are going to be having those conversations and making the votes. There are a lot of university presidents. We had this in the story that Bruce and I ran earlier this week. There are a lot of schools that like to think that they're peers of the Ivy League, right, academically. You even have former people who worked in the Ivy League. Like Michigan, my alma mater, Michigan's president came from Brown. You have people who have ties to those schools, but also this idea that they're not the, they're not the former football coaches or people that have worked their whole lives in college sports. These are people who are looking 
out for the campus and the safety of everyone and they're trying to figure out if you can do any in-person enrollment they're making all of these decisions that are above sports anyway and they are the people that when you say oh who's looking at the ivy league university presidents are looking at the ivy league that's true and and you mentioned you know who considers them an academic peer well there is at least one power five school that probably is an academic peer of the ivy league and that's stanford so you know, that's a Pac-12 school. We'll, we'll see if that affects them or, or affects what they say. But I also talked to another Power 5 person today who said, and this is a person who thought they'd be able to play on time, have fans in the stands, and that, that tone has changed completely because what they said today was, I, I'm not sure that we can push our way to the front of the line if the rest of college isn't back to something resembling normal. And that was not the the attitude about a month ago. No, but it was when you think about like March, right? We've kind of gone in waves here of like the the talking points and the the sticking points where there was a phase where people said they're student athletes, student first, as they love to say. Um, Part of their defense when the NCAA has been under attack in court is that these are not employees. This is not like a job. This is the same, similar opportunities, every college student, et cetera, et cetera, right? And then they were going to try to say, well, college football players can come back to campus, but nobody else, right? You can't, it doesn't, those things don't coexist in your mind well, or just optically, right? That looks like, let's use these college football players as guinea pigs for a virus. We don't know what it does to your body. Then it was like, well, you know, we're going to be able to bring back students, right? So there's going to be student population as well. And now we're back in this point where you have positive tests that are shutting down voluntary workouts and you're supposed to bring back regular students and like have campus life. Like there's no way it's the opposite of a bubble. Well, right. What what happens when 30,000 people show up on a campus? And I'm not talking about a football crowd. I'm talking about the day to day attendance at a college it's going to change the numbers. It's going to change the dynamics. And the thing about it is we don't know what's going to happen with this way. We know the tests are – the positive tests are coming in at a much higher rate than they were. Hospitalizations are up somewhat but not equally with the number of, of positive tests. Deaths remain flat. That's The death remaining flat part is good. But – we don't know what's going to happen in a month or so, and I think that's what they're, they're worried about because if you want to start the season on time, and they do want to start the season on time, they would have to make that decision by the end of this month. And mm-hmm. I don't know that they're going to be comfortable at the end of this month making that decision. But, but my question is this, Nicole, because this is what I've, I, I asked everybody a month or two ago when I said, okay, why aren't you considering a spring season? Because – doesn't that give you more of a chance of having fans in the stands? Doesn't it give you more of a chance of getting to keep the money you've been paid for season tickets? That would seem like a, a, a more attractive option than trying to play a truncated season in the fall or trying to, to play a season in the fall that kind of goes in fits and starts because you don't know when you have to shut down and when you don't. But the more I think about it, the, I, I kind of understand where they're coming from now. If you say we're going to start in January, what if something happens in December? Because then there is no football season. And for a lot of these right. folks, if there's no football season, that is a drastic, drastic thing for these athletic departments. 
Okay, so so here here's a couple other, you know, you have people talking about kind of their fears, right? So the fear is not having a football season at all in the academic year. Um, if you push to spring and then spring can't happen. Um, also, what about starting a football season and then having to shut it down? Exactly. Right? Like, so, so that's where some of the optimism about let's just try to push it because maybe there'll be a vaccine, maybe there'll be better treatments. Maybe spring will just be a better scenario environment to try this because if you start a football season and it's not just like we've had people like I talked to Bob Bowlesby from the Big 12 a couple weeks ago and he was like listen there's going to be conference games that get canceled like there's going to be disruptions but if you're not talking like let's say you know one team has x amount of players that test positive whatever the threshold is and they have to miss cancel that game and quarantine and whatever but let's say something really bad happens it gets to the point where like the whole sport shuts down Right. Like someone is really hospitalized or, you know, I don't want to say it, but, you know, something really bad could happen to a coach or a player, whatever. And you shut down the entire sport. Then when when on earth could you bring back college sports at that point? Right. That- like you, you there's there's no chance for, for basketball season. There's no chance for these other elements of college sports that that do affect and bring in money. Right. Like there's there's no way if you start football and shut it down, how do you start basketball and have an NCAA tournament and lose that money again? Right. Yeah. And, and that's the thing that they have to kind of thread the needle here to figure out when they can start where they, where they will not have to shut down. And the more you look at it, the more January seems like a safer bet for that. Now, there are issues there, too. Now, one thing I think you could do, Nicole, and, and I'd, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this. Could you just kick the can down the road with football where you just keep preparing to play? And let's say you get to the end of this month and you have to make a decision on starting in September and you say, we're going to wait another month. And then you start preparing to play in October. And then you get to, yes. you get to the end of August and you say, not quite ready yet. Let's wait another month. I don't, I don't know if you do that twice, but you could definitely do it once. Um, I think, you know, if you are thinking about getting rid of non-conference games anyway, which is possibility. I wrote, I wrote a story on The Athletic last week about testing disparities not it's not because the FCS schools like don't want to test their athletes to the same standard level as like you know they can't afford it right so you don't want your your team and your players and coaches to mix with a population you don't know what their threshold is you know they could have an outbreak they don't know about right and it would infect your team so there's a lot of concerns about that already if you're going to play outside of your conference or outside of the power five where like all of those leagues are going to have the same testing they're all going to be in the same um, in the same sort of minimum standard. So if you get rid of non-conference games, which, by the way, could have a huge impact for some of these schools that basically prop up their athletic departments on these deals. But let's just walk through this. So, so you're the Big Ten, and you get rid of non-conference games, so you're not going to play as many games. You're only playing league games. Maybe you restructure the season, so you're playing your divisional opponents first, so you could sort of have a conference race, whatever it might be. Then maybe you're only playing, are you only playing 10 games? Are you playing nine? What are you playing? And at what point then can you push back the season a couple weeks? Because you're not going to play as many games and give yourself more time to allow, you know, players to get back on campus, allow for quarantining, self-quarantining, all the things that need to happen and let schools figure out what percentage of in-person classes they're going to do, right? Maybe those numbers are going to shift. I just don't know if you do that more than once because at that point don't you just punt to the spring yeah i I think the spring thing will 
get more popular as we go forward. Unless the, the only way that changes is if in a couple of weeks you see where these places that have had the big spikes, if they start to come down and people say, oh, well, that was just a natural reaction to reopening and everybody's going to have to deal with that. And then I think you'd see everybody reopen, everybody go through their spike and all that stuff. But we don't know if that's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen. Right. I think so. So if you look at like, let's say, you know, you want to be optimistic about this, you look at like New York, right? So you look at where they peaked and then how long it took them to get it under control. You could look at that and model it out on the states in the south that are that are getting hit really hard right now. But we still don't know the impact of July 4th weekend. Like we, we have not seen the positive test from that. And we haven't had full team practices yet. Right. So that's why everyone has been circling, circling July 13th. So that's another reason why a lot of these Power 5 administrators are saying we need to wait until the end of July, early August at the latest to make this decision because then we'll have some data about bringing that size of a group together at all times. So that's another, that's another thing about this timeline. Again, to your point, you basically need a month for it to start on time. So you need to make that decision a month out. But they want to make it as late as possible so you have that data to see if those numbers are going down. Or, you know, what does it mean for, you know, if there is a spike from July 4th or if there is a spike from a team, team practices and that many people interacting close each day. And again, what about those, what about the regular students coming back? So you have all those things that that's another reason why people want to push back the decision the 11th hour because again nobody wants to make these decisions they want to operate as long as the season is starting on time we all would love to do that too right but we have to be realistic and 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 consider all of these other factors and that's why you know these decisions have to be made as late as possible but also with as much time as possible to make those sort of adjustments happen right and and spring football also brings with it another set of issues I think you can safely assume no Trevor Lawrence, no Justin Fields, guys like that probably not yes. playing. How do you deal with rosters at that point? Ari Wasserman and I talked on the podcast on Monday about you're going to have early enrollees for the class of 2021 in. Well, do you let them play so, to replace the guys I you mean, lost to the NFL? Can you have an early signing period? like that? that that's, that's another thing. question because you, you don't know. And especially with with it being a dead period for so long, I mean, that's something I was talking with one of the Ivy League coaches who who was saying that they expect this to be a push to spring. And they were saying, we have no idea what that would mean for recruiting. Well, and and especially Ivy League, because a lot of times they're waiting out the the FBS schools to see who has can get in, who can get in. Also, some of those kids are are deciding whether they want to pay and go to the Ivy League or or whether they want to take a scholarship and go somewhere else. And. So I, it's even more complicated for those coaches. But for the for the FBS coaches, they've taken all these commitments. They've not had the normal evaluation. It's 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 going to be a mess. But and if they lose bodies yeah. to the draft, but, so, but now you know, they they always took early enrollees, even when there was no signing day until February. So there still will true. be guys who show up on campus. So. What, what, or they could restrict that. I mean, it would depend, right? Yeah. The NCAA could choose to get involved in that space yeah. with that class. Well, they can't. They, they can't to. stop the kids from enrolling in school for that semester. So that's true. That, that's that's the thing. I, I think, I think probably that what Ari and I talked about, which I think actually would work, is if the NCAA just said, "Look, you can be at eighty-five scholarships. However, you get to that number, get there. And if you want to, you, you can hold some guys out. Now, you can't four-game redshirt anybody who doesn't count against your eighty-five. 
but you can you can play with 85 scholarship players and that's the, the sound you would hear is Kansas going, yay, we're finally I was just, just going to say, this would be Kansas's great moment. Um, yeah, I, I do think, and, and again, I still think, you know, when you look at that early signing period, too, there's going to have to be, you know, special rules or, or it, it getting shut down for one year, whatever, right? Because all of these things are going to have to be like a one-year special rule deal, right? And we, we've already at seen least, that with regional scheduling. <laughs> yeah, at least we hope it's just the one year. But yeah, you'd absolutely have to figure that out. And especially if you did move it to spring and then you were dealing with not just the fact that top draft guys are going to go prep for the draft because they would normally be doing that, but also that the wear and tear of two seasons in one calendar year, like you would obviously need to expect that neither of them would be the full length of a regular season, um, especially not that spring one, but with the wear and tear of that. So do you get rid of the redshirt rule? for a year, right? And just let them have bodies. And also, what if there's an outbreak in the wide receivers room? Can you play a freshman and not have it burn his redshirt, right? Like, all of these other things would need to be loosened in order to incentivize people to do this in the healthiest and safest possible way, which you would need to make sure that all of those steps are in place. Because otherwise, you'd be incentivizing people to try to play through an outbreak on their team or to overplay, you know, make somebody play too much or play through an injury because you didn't want to burn someone else's red shirt, right? Like you would have to work through all of those peripheral issues to make sure that it was like the safest possible way from a player safety and COVID angle. This is going to be a mess any way you look at it. And I think that's why a lot of these folks don't want to step out there and say, here's what we, here's what we're going to do because it's, you're going to get fire from every direction, no matter what you decide. Yeah, and and if you decide to push it back, it's a huge financial decision, right? Like that's, you know that that's a huge part of I, it when you talk about Power Five I, versus Ivy. I still think there's a I still think there's a better chance money wise to be almost made whole in the spring than you would have in the fall, because at this rate, I don't I don't see how you're playing in front of fans in the fall, or or definitely not playing in front of a full house. In the spring, you may have a, a better chance of playing in front of more people. So that, that's, yeah. that's cash right there. Right. It just depends what, what the TV contracts would look like. What, are the, what would the media rights deals what well, that, that's cost you to get out of before it you, for the fall? Before you say, we're going to move to spring, you go to ESPN and Fox and CBS and say, we're getting the same amount of money, right? Right. And, and you know what? I bet they'd probably say yes because, remember – there's pressure on them from the other direction. You already had one cable system try to get out of paying ESPN its rights fee because it wasn't broadcasting any live sports. So well, they're under and, pressure. And let's, let's be optimistic here. Let's say that all of the sports restarts happen in the pro sports. That's a lot of things happening in the fall that don't normally happen in the right. fall. So there's going to be product, and they might actually prefer it. Because right, I think I think that that people are going to want to broadcast live sports whenever they are available, but that is a factor, right? This is going to be a factor if the Power Five gets to the point of having those conversations and making those decisions. It's a huge deal, and it is worth more than ticket sales and and the gate of a game. But there are a lot of places that rely on that. There are places in the MAC that really, really rely on student fees. So enrollment numbers are going to be huge yes. for them, right? There, there's all these different pieces that are going to be more important for different schools than others, but are all pieces to the same puzzle. So 
Um, these are all the right questions. And thank God we don't have to be the ones to answer it. You know how we always want to run this coaching search firm? Like, yeah. I, I don't want we, any part of this. I don't want to consult I, on this. We, we don't want to, yeah, we don't want to consult on this. We don't want to be an athletic director right now, but we will, um, we will consult on like hiring and firing decisions and we will give our opinions on what the decisions you're making, but that's, that's exciting. I don't even know that I feel like I can give a strong opinion on the decisions they make because God bless them. The, the, yeah, there's I don't, no, I don't want to There make aren't them. a lot of right answers. Fellas, are you prepared to unveil your summer bod? The beaches are opening, the sun is shining, and the bushes must be tamed. Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for the wild. Look, we've all seen there's something about Mary. We know terrible things can happen when blades are around sensitive parts of our body. But you don't need to worry about that with Manscaped. With the Lawnmower 3.0, which is their revolutionary hair trimmer, it is fantastic. It is safe. The best chest hair trimmer you're ever going to find. Uh, you can get it as part of the Perfect Package 3.0 kit. It comes with that lawnmower 3.0. It's a waterproof cordless body trimmer. Also comes with a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. You subscribe to the Perfect Package and you get a new blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months. And for a limited time, subscribers get two free gifts: the Shed Travel Bag, which is a thirty-nine dollar value. And the patented high performance reduced chafing manscaped boxer briefs. You get 20% off plus free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. So do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC. For a limited time, subscribers get not one but two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, which is a $39 value, and the patented high-performance anti-chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC. You mentioned hiring and firing and, and contracts and student fees, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about a story that, that I'm working on that's similar to one that you ran last week. Uh, you wrote about the force majeure clause in game contracts. And for those who who aren't lawyers or who didn't buy a house recently, uh, force majeure is basically the act of God clause that appears in a lot of contracts and is usually in that, that whole list of things that you see at the bottom of the contract that nobody ever reads. And basically it says if, if an act of God makes it impossible to execute this contract, that you can nullify the contract with no penalty to either side. Now, you it's, it's really important for game contracts because you have hurricanes, tornadoes, all, all that other stuff. But the reason I went to, started to look into this is because on Friday when Mike Holder, the athletic director at Oklahoma State, announced what they've done with Mike Gundy post the Chuba Hubbard calling him out and then them looking into to Mike Gundy's relationship with the team – one of the things they did on top of, of reducing his buyout and reducing his salary was they added a force majeure clause to his contract. And I started thinking, okay, who else has a force majeure clause? Because Mike Holder said, we're going to put these in all our coaches' contracts from now on. And basically, it's the same thing you'd see in a game contract, except it, it's them saying, if some act of God, whatever it is, keeps us from being able to pay this extreme amount of money that we're supposed to pay you, well, then we don't have to pay. And so I was like, who, who else has this? So I looked through a bunch of contracts. So 
uh, the private schools aren't available. A lot of the new contracts, we haven't seen the long form deal yet, so we don't know if they have them or not. They're still working off the little letter that tells them how much money they, they're going to make. But I looked through 65 contracts and I found 12 force majeure clauses. And there's some interesting ones. Did you know that Ed Orgeron has a force majeure clause that specifically mentions an epidemic? So that's what's interesting. Not all the force majeure clauses have the same language. Well, it, right. And, and some of them are, are kind of boilerplate looking. Like the, the one for Ed Orgeron looks very similar to the one for Mike Norvell at, at Florida State. And, and it, here's, I, I'll read it to you because you might find this on LegalZoom.com if you look up force majeure clauses. This is kind of the basic one right here. Neither party shall be considered in default of performance of any obligations under this agreement if such performance is prevented or delayed by force majeure. Force majeure shall be understood to be any cause which is beyond the reasonable control of the party affected and which is forthwith by notice from the party affected brought to the attention of the other party, including but not limited to war, hostilities, revolution, civil commotion, strike, lockout, epidemic, accident, fire, natural disaster, wind or flood, or any requirements of law or an act of God. That's if, for Ed Orgeron, guess what? For a, rev- a revolution. Yes, a revolution could, could cause LSU to not pay Coach O. Now, there, I don't think there's anything that would cause LSU to not pay Coach O. He's the most popular person in the state right now. So he doesn't have anything to worry about. Mike Norvell at Florida State doesn't have anything to worry about. He just got there. He didn't coach the game yet. Now, here's one that's interesting to me. Chip Kelly has one of these. Chip Kelly has not had the best couple seasons at UCLA. They would owe him a lot of money if, if they decided to get rid of him. What if UCLA were to use that? Now, and UCLA's is different than some of these other ones. It is not boilerplate. The one at UCLA and the one at Cal for Justin Wilcox, obviously they're both University of California system contracts. Their force majeure clause is rolled into the death or disability clause, which is in every one of these contracts. Every contract says if the coach dies or is disabled, it's very morbid. You don't want to, you don't want to think about it. But they're all in there. But this one, they say basically if there's a force majeure event lasting more than 60 days, this contract and coach's employment hereunder shall thereupon terminate and all future rights and obligations between the parties under this contract shall cease. And... I don't think UCLA would do this. They have a similar clause with, with basketball coach Mick Cronin, except it's 30 days instead of 60. But if a school wanted to go nuclear on somebody, I guess they could. So I think going nuclear is the right way to put this. So when I was working on my story about the game contracts, I talked to lawyers who are specializing in force majeure, especially during all of this. And they said that you've got to think about the context surrounding these situations, right? So let's say with a game, let's say you're an FCS school, Power 5 school cancels on you because they don't think you're testing to the level they want. They try to, you know, again, if they had pandemic and epidemic listed in their in the game clause, like the contract, you'd have a better shot at saying, like, this is why we're avoiding it. But in reality, that FCS school is not going to go nuclear because they're going to want to schedule that school again. They're going to want to schedule that school's conference, of, you know, members. Right. You don't want to get school. blackballed so, over yes, over seven hundred fifty thousand bucks again. Going nuclear over this one thing when everyone is dealing with similar issues, right? 
So it's the same sort of deal. But this is why you write it into the contract, right? In case you need to go nuclear. But it still would have to be the last resort because if UCLA did that, how are they going to hire their next coach? Right. Well, and here, how are they going to get anyone to agree to a contract? With here's them? the part unique to UCLA. UCLA can't do that to Chip Kelly or to Mick Cronin because that's what Under Armour is trying to do to UCLA right now. There's a force right. majeure clause in the Under Armour contract, and if you read it, it was clearly put in there to protect UCLA. UCLA did not think this was going to get used against them. And it, it basically is what I just read you for the Chip Kelly contract, except it's 100 days instead of 60. It's weird that they have the, the amount of days, though, I will just say, because, again, when you're looking at game contracts, they're, they're structured differently. And a lot of times, a force majeure clause, like you, you gave the example of like a hurricane or a tornado, it's like a one-time thing that just happens, and then there's an aftermath. But it's very interesting that this is an ongoing pandemic, because you could theoretically, if you're trying to get out of something and it doesn't have a, the amount of days or something like that, right? Like the fact that it's gone on long and there's been time to adjust to it or prepare to it, right? Like theoretically, that would come into play a little bit too, but they have these numbers and they have that specific timeline in those deals. Yeah, and so I found an interesting older one. When Jim McElwain was the coach at Florida, his was if the period of suspended or amended performance exceeds 90 days, then at any time such after such suspension period or suspended or amended performance and before full performance resumes, the association, meaning the athletic department, may terminate this agreement and effective upon giving notice to the coach. So the, clearly lawyers have thought about this. Now, I've talked to some agents and some ADs about this, and it's not something that usually comes up in the negotiation. Now, the agents are going to look for it and, and try to strike it out if they can, or they're going to try to to drill down on the specifics of it. But what one agent told me was, basically we're looking at this as, you are saying it is impossible for you to pay. Not difficult for you to pay, but impossible for you to pay. And if it's impossible for you to pay, well that means a whole lot of different things. And, and this agent took me down the road of where they'd go with it and, and what they'd be trying to do you know, to protect their client. But Basically, you'd, you would say, okay, well, if it's impossible for you to pay your obligations here, what about your debt service obligations? What about these obligations? And, and basically, a university would put, or an athletic department might put its credit rating at risk. And there, mm. there's a lot of, of potential downsides to this. But I thought it was interesting just because it seemed like an odd thing for Oklahoma State to add in. And Mike Holder said that Mike Gundy brought all this stuff to them. I'm not sure that's exactly how that went down. That's an awful lot to, like that. that that's like the you know the dad that tells the kid to pick the switch before he gets whooped. That's a big switch yeah. to come back with. Well, you mean, or it's like a voluntary workout in college football. It's not really voluntary. Yeah, you can volunteer not to play too, or you they, they can volunteer not to play. You. I, I I think I think you're right though because. Um, you know, the, the the thing that it does, especially the, the language of some of these contracts that you, you shared with me, is it would allow them to force a pay cut. It yes. would allow them to pause paying and someone, I, I right? I think like, that's really what they're for. I think that's that's the more yeah, likely Well, the, the NBA did that, right? The NBA did that because it was part of their they agreement, had it, yeah. the collective bar bargaining agreement with the NBA PA. So that's really what this is. And I mean, I think there's going to every contract in anything moving forward is going to include pandemics in the force majeure clause. Like 
clearly that has the capability to shut everything down. Well, so, like, it's going to continue. The contracts you found, that's just going to be the new template. One thing I thought was really interesting is, especially some of the group of five schools that didn't have force majeure clauses in the coaches' contract, but did have a clause that said, essentially, if our university board doesn't get enough money appropriated by the state, we might not have to pay this, or we might reduce this. Or if, That's if, our, super interesting. if our student fees go down, we might have mm. to terminate this deal. Now, the one for, for Will Healy at Charlotte says if the student fee situation changes, they would have to they, – they might terminate the contract, but they would still owe him his base salary for as long as the contract would run. Does it do, in those examples? Does it matter why the student fees? Wouldn't, like, would it be if, if no one's enrolling? If it's ninety, it, it does not say why. It just says if the student, if the level of student so fees that changes. Could, so that could come into play this yeah, fall. And that's how, and that's how a lot of schools in the group of five fund their athletic departments. And and I don't know that a lot of, that all the students who go to those schools necessarily know that they might be getting charged somewhere between eleven and fifteen dollars a credit hour for what's called an activity fee, and a lot of that is going toward the athletic department. Yeah, and that that was actually a part of, you know, when I would talk to people, especially back in March, when you were waiting to see what the hit was going to be from the NCAA tournament, people were worried about state appropriations. Also, the fact that students went home and, and left, they got student fees refunded in a lot of cases. That was already causing a hit to a lot of budgets. So, that is absolutely a huge thing to keep an eye on this fall. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. So I've got a story out on The Athletic today. You can read that now about force majeure clause in coaching contracts, which at least at Oklahoma State you're going to see more of, and I'm guessing you're going to see them more throughout the country. But, Nicole, what are we going to do for the next few months? What are we going to do? Um, it's a good question. I, I do think you have children. Can you have them do some sort of athletic competition against each other that we can cover? Like, I, I'll make the box scores. I think that would I'll, be I'll great. I, I, my daughter, I think, would go for that. I don't know if my son would be too thrilled with that. Okay, well, we just have to figure out what the reward would be. But as long as they're racing or, like, playing horseshoes or something that, like, has a winner and a loser, we can cover Oh, that. I mean, they get cutthroat just playing Clue. So that we that could work. Oh, that we could televise them playing sp- Clue. Yeah, I mean, I'm saying, like, I've been playing Settlers of Catan with a bunch of our college football writers. Like, that could we could do that over Twitch. I mean, there are some options. We just need something that is competitive. Okay, here. All right. Well, keep our juices. Colonel flowing. Mustard in the study with the lead pipe. Let's make it happen. Yeah, we, we're going to have to. I think it, the the optimism of a month ago has pretty much dissipated. That doesn't mean it's going to be as bad as it looks right now, but I think probably by the end of this month we'll have a little better of a better idea of what's going to happen. Yeah, we're going to have to. Um, I, I think these decisions are are going to come in the next. I mean, I, it could happen quickly, right? Like this could be ten, fourteen days. This could be the last possible second, the beginning of August, right? Um, It's going to be very curious to see how it all shakes out and if the Power Five all do it together or if they do it separately. You know, they have these almost daily calls, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to approach that final decision about a fall season the same way. It is going to be a mess. That's it's it's that's, absolutely it's that's already, all we know. It's, it's already be a mess. A mess. <laughs> it is already a mess. It's going to continue to be a mess. 
And again, without a commissioner who can kind of just snap their fingers and say, this is what everyone has to do, it was always going to be this way. All right, Nicole, start thinking about what movies we need to talk about on future podcasts, because we're going to have these periodic updates on what's happening, and then we're going to have to entertain the folks between now and football. Absolutely. We'll do our best. We'll do some some rewatching. All right. Thanks, Nicole. Yep, anytime. I know that wasn't the most optimistic podcast in the world, and, and I'm sorry about that, but we've got to keep you apprised of what's going on and that is where college football is at right now and we don't know exactly what's going to be decided in the next month or so but reading the tea leaves it does not sound nearly as optimistic as it sounded a month ago and they just have to decide what they're going to do and what the best decision is at this point and it may be wait a little while but we're still going to have fun here don't worry we're going to have the Andy Staples Show. We're still going to be talking college football. College football is going to come back. You will get to watch games again. It's going to happen. We're going to make sure you're ready when it does come back. We'll talk to you on Friday.